turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We're going to be in two or three different places this morning as um, as we uh, continue our series that we have entitled, I've entitled, uh, Putting Together the Pieces of Who I Am. We started with trying to figure out who the great I Am is, and we saw him out of Exodus, and then we saw um, in John's Gospel that Jesus stated that he was, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Last week we saw that I am adopted. As a child of God, you and I have been adopted into the family. And as we have been adopted into his family, we have become heirs. And this morning, I want to uh, share with you something that has just been on my heart. Last couple of weeks, it's just been kind of gnawing at me. It was not in the series as I laid the series out. But it is something that has been um, pressing on me. And hopefully that comes across to you uh, this morning, to us this morning. So in John's Gospel, I want to read for us out of John chapter 20, verse 21, us understanding this, that you and I, I am sent. We are sent beings by Almighty God. John chapter 20, Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus has been crucified. He is laid in a tomb for three days, and now this is the first Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday that he comes out of the tomb. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, down through verse 21, John records these words. On the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, the first day that Jesus came back to life, the first day that he walked out of the tomb alive, no longer dead, on that day, on the evening, the first day of the week, the, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Key in on this verse, verse 21. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, to his disciples, to his followers. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for, as we will look again today, thank you for being a sending God, thank you for taking the first step, for making the first move, for being the one who starts this action 
by starting the ball in motion, so to speak, because you saw fit to sin. Father, I pray that as we look at the passages in front of us, as we see the the subject matter that is going to be spoken about this morning, that it would not go over our heads or under our feet, but Father, it would come in contact with us that you would speak to these, your people, this morning. Father, for those that know you as Father, God, you would convict and you would encourage You would challenge for those that are in this place that have never bowed the knee, that have never confessed with their mouth that you are alive, that you are God, that you are Lord of their life. I pray that you would hit them with yourself this morning in such a way, God, that it would be crystal clear, that it would be plain to see how much you love them and how much you desire for them to know you like you know them. Lord, I don't know how many times I've prayed and how many times I've said this out loud or silently. Lord, at this moment, we don't need another sermon. God, we need you to speak. Lord, we need you to show up in our hearts and in our lives in such a way that it changes us. So, Lord, speak through your word today. That it might change us for your good. For your glorious name deserves our attention and our focus this morning. So God, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. You know, just a day, a couple of days before this, a couple of days before John chapter 20, Jesus had a group of disciples, he had a group of followers, and there was a whole host of people who were upset at him. There was a whole religious section or sector of all of Israel that wanted him dead, and he knew it. He knew that they wanted him dead, and even so, he went to Jerusalem where they were headquartered. And the night that they were going to arrest him, instead of locking himself in a room, making it hard for him to be found, Jesus went to a garden. And he went to this garden to pray. I'm going to read some verses out of John chapter 17. And as I read these verses, I I want you to think about the setting. I, I want you to think about Jesus, I want you to think about his followers, I want you to think about what's happened because we know what happens. We know that Judas comes in with a band of soldiers and he kisses Jesus on the cheek and they arrest him and Jesus goes off and he is put through numerous trials, kangaroo courts, he's beaten, he's crucified. But we know that, but I want you to think about as I read these verses what Jesus is praying for. Who Jesus is praying for. John chapter 17, the whole of the chapter is a prayer. It has been entitled the high high priestly prayer, but it is Jesus crying out to his Father. 
I believe that uh, the verses on the screen will start with verse 14, so let me start there. It states this. I have given them your word. Jesus is talking to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Lord, I don't ask that you keep them safe, that you protect them, that you take them out of harm's way. No, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, no. But I am asking, verse 15 states, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, that you hold on to them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Lord, sanctify them, verse 17 states. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now in John chapter 20, verse 21, he stated to them that he was sending them just as God had sent him. This wasn't the first time that they had heard it that night in the closed room. Jesus had told them their marching orders long before that night. Long before this prayer, Jesus had told them time and again to the point that they knew it. The disciples of Jesus Christ, those who were following him, knew their mission. Continue in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. That is a huge theological term. But I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I am going to do something to myself. I'm going to do something to my body. I'm going to do something to my life that will allow my followers to be sanctified. As Jesus is praying, he is telling the Father, I know exactly what's about to happen, Lord. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly the hurt that's going to happen. I know the death that is about to happen. But I am doing this for a purpose. And that purpose is that they, my followers, may be sanctified. I don't ask for these only. And aren't you glad that he's not just asking for these only? Because at that moment... John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying for you by name. You're in the Bible, right here. I don't ask for these only. Listen, here's what he says. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Their, meaning the followers that are his right now. Their, meaning Peter, James, and John, and Thomas. There, meaning those followers that were in that room that Sunday night, that first day of the week, because of their word, because of their testimony, because of them being missionaries, because of them being sent, so that 21 centuries later, almost 2,000 years in the 21st century, you and I, would come to know him. That they may all be one, verse 21 states, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory, verse 22, that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them, that you loved the world even as you loved me. The first thing that you and I need to understand this morning is this, that God sends people on a mission. God sends people. People on a mission. We saw it last week. There were it was point number two or the second key in that text or in that sermon that God sent forth two change agents. One, He sent Jesus into the world, and two, He sent His Spirit, God's Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, into our hearts as believers. But God is a sending God, and you and I need to understand that. It's all throughout Scripture. I'm not going to take us through all of them this morning, but I just pulled out a few of them. And I'm not even going to read all of them. I'm just going to read the ones that I actually um, just grab a hold of me. Okay? If I have enough time. Here we go. Genesis chapter 24, verse 7. God sent through Abraham, he sent a servant to go get Isaac a wife. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, God sent his man Moses to go be a savior for his people. Judges chapter 6, verse 14, we saw that a couple of weeks ago as we went through the book of Judges. God sends saviors. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. One of my favorites is Job chapter 38. Let me just set this one up. For a number of days, even weeks, Job's been sitting on an ash heap and he's got some so-called friends that come and for a whole week they just put themselves and cover themselves in ashes and sit on an ash heap and they're they're silent and they're just watching Job. Job has boils all over him. Job is in pain physically. He's in anguish and he is in mourning because he just lost all of his kids, all of his servants, all of his land. He's, He's lost everything. And he didn't do anything for that. Except in heaven, God saw Satan who came in that day and he said, Hey, have you thought of my servant Job? There's nobody like him. I mean, he shuns evil. He he is blameless. Have you ever thought about him? And Satan says, Well, I know why he's blameless. I know why he's like that because you've so blessed him. And God said, I don't think so. So here's what I'm going to allow you to do, Satan. You take whatever you want. You just can't touch him. And in a day, he lost 1,000 sheep. He lost 500 donkeys. He lost 500 camels. He lost seven kids. He lost all of his servants in a day. And he still blessed God. Another day, Satan is standing there in the presence of God, and he says, hey, have you thought of Job? And he said, well, he's still got his health. You've got your health. And he said, Here's, I'll let you do it. You can take everything except you can't kill him. And so these friends come and they sit for a week and then they cannot contain themselves and then they just start going at 
at Job. And Job's like, you're wrong. You're wrong. Bill, Dad, you're wrong. And then there's this one that shows up. Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. God comes on the scene. And here's what he says. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read one verse and try to tell you about it. But here's what he says. Hey, Job, you're all in a tizzy, and you're all trying to figure out why in the world this all is happening, and you're saying, woe is me, and you're going through this. Hey, Job, can you send forth lightning? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and they may say to you, hey, here we are. When you can do that, we'll talk. He goes on later in that chapter and he says, Hey, Job, if you think you're big stuff and you think you've got it all figured out, why don't you go make your own world? Why don't you go make your own mountains, your own rivers, your own oceans? And when you do that, we'll talk. Why can he say that? Because God is a sending God. God is the one who sends forth lightning. God is the one who sends forth out of his mouth. This whole universe has been created. Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 25, Ezekiel chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 5, Malachi chapter 2, Matthew chapter 11, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. All of these show that God is a sending God and God sends people on mission and he has sent you and he has sent me on this mission what's our mission our mission is simple Luke recorded it this way in Acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says you but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria even to the ends of the earth. Students, you have been called to be a missionary. You've been called to be a missionary on the campus that you attend. Sir, you have been called to be a missionary at the job site. You've been called to be a missionary at the house. You've been called to be a missionary. Ma'am, to those that you come in contact with, we have all been called to be missionaries. A missionary is, uh, one commentator stated it this way, a missionary is sent to share and save. There is a compelling story as to why you should come here. There's a compelling story as to why you should have this. The term missionary could also be intertwined with the term ambassador. There are ambassadors in this nation all the time. There are ambassadors in this nation, in the cities, the major cities of our nation all the time. What are they ambassadors for? They're ambassadors for sites. They're ambassadors for countries. They're ambassadors for things. Because they have been moved by it. They know something about it. And they want you to know something about it. They want you to experience it. Same with a missionary. Let me give you an illustration. 
let's take a body of water. Let's just say it's Sardis Lake, okay? I hadn't looked at Sardis Lake here lately, but it's different this year than it was the last few years. A lot of rains happened, okay? But even if you take all the water at Sardis Lake and you set it there, there's still enough land around it that, hey, you could have a lot more water because there's still some barren. Maybe it's a foot. Maybe it's 18 inches. Maybe it's five feet of where water used to be, but now the volume is lower. But you take that same amount of water and you put it in a narrow space and something's going to happen. Something glorious is going to happen. Now, people especially from our neck of the woods, so to speak, go to Sardis Lake. But if you take that same amount of water that's in that place and you put it in a small, narrow spot, there is going to be some intense pressure that is going to take place and there is going to be a waterfall of such magnitude that people, not just in our neck of the woods, but people in our whole region, that people in our whole nation, that people in our whole world want to come and see. It's called a waterfall, and it would be a glorious waterfall, depending on how narrow and how intense that water was placed in that segment. You say, Brian, where are you going with this? You are just all over the map. Exactly. Watch. Listen. You and I have a great story to tell. You and I have been commissioned to tell this story. You and I have been sent to be missionaries. Missionaries have something to share and they have something to say. You say, Brian, that's what I don't like. It's this whole narrow aspect that they have to, I have to do this, or they have to come through Jesus. It's narrow in this sense that it is intense. But if you put that water, just like that water in that waterfall, and you push it through a really, really narrow space, it becomes so intense. Why do you go to the Okoe River? You go to the Okoe River not because of the slow spots. You go to the Okoe River because of the rapids. You go down the, the Colorado River. You go down the, the New River because of the rapids, because of the amount of water that is shooting through these narrow, intense moments that brings about fear, yes, but thrill, oh yes. The same is the case with the gospel. You and I have been called to be witnesses to those in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the world. Brian, I don't understand. Let me go one more place with you. Try to get all of it together and draw it up. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. This week I sat in a conference down in Jackson and uh, we had Ed Stetzer come in and remind us of where we stand as those in Mississippi and where we stand as those who are called Christians in the United States of America. 
And as a part of it, he uh, brought with him a pastor. He's also a uh, co-worker of his by the name of Micah Fries. And as Ed Stetzer does, if you don't know who Ed Stetzer is, it's okay. If you don't know who Micah Fries is, it's okay. But Ed Stetzer is a statistic man. He is a statistic, I mean, he is just spit statistic after statistic after statistic. It's hard for me to say, and he just spits them out. But here's what he stated. Christians, he kind of stated it this way. Christians in America, there are one-fourth of Americans that don't believe in anything or believe in other gods. They say, hey, that, that Buddha is God or that tree out there is God or there is no God. And then there's three-quarters of Americans that would state that, hey, there, there is a God and yeah, I, I, I believe in God. And out of those three-quarters... There's really just one quarter who are convictional Christians who would say that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And out of those, there's really just 12%. So out of the 25%, there's really just 12% that it changes the way that they live. And out of the 12%, there's 3.5% of evangelicals, which we as Baptists would fall in that area. So 3.5% of 100% of Americans are evangelicals who believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and are moved in such a way that they live their lives under conviction, under this belief. And everybody is saying, oh, the sky is falling and the death of the church is happening. But if you look from 1920 to 2015, because that's the latest numbers that he had, there's really not that much change within 1%. And he stated this. He said, you know what? Sure, the culture that you and I live in, where you work, where you go to bed at night, where, where you live, this life, this nation, sure, it is changing. But those, those who have been called, those who have been sent to do this mission, we're not engaging. I just read for you John's gospel at the end of it. I just read for you the beginning of the book of Acts. There is no plan B. That was the plan. The plan was for his followers to go and tell what they had seen and what they had experienced. There was no plan B. There's no plan B coming in 2018, 2017, or 2016, the month of September. The same plan has been happening for 2,000 years. Jesus died on the cross to save you and me from our sins, to give us a way to have a right relationship with him. And when that occurs in a person, it moves that person to go and tell somebody about it. And when that happens to you, and when that happens to me, and when it happens to us, lives change. Because you and I understand the mission of Almighty God, and we understand that we are being sent out as Missionaries. But even before Jesus came, this plan was in place.
play. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we read a verse out of this and we think everything's going to be okay because of this one verse and we take it out of context. Let me try to put it in context. Jeremiah chapter 29. What's the first verse that you have on the slide? For thus says the Lord. I think it is verse number 10. For thus says the Lord. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise. And I'll bring you back to this place. So let me stop before we go to the next verse. God's saying to his people in Jerusalem, Hey, Jerusalem, hey, Israelites, there's about to be a time where you're going to go over here and you're going to be in captivity. You're going to be in captivity not for two years like all these so-called prophets are saying, not for just a short time, but no, you're going to be there for your life. 70 years. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and to give you a hope. That word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for peace. Back up a few verses. In verse number 4, it states this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Everybody here, most everybody here, most everybody in the United States of America has a house. They have built it, they have bought it, they have rented it, and it is a place where they live, where they dwell Build houses. Live in them. Hey, plant a garden. Eat the produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And here's your marching orders and mine. Verse number 7. But seek the welfare. The welfare of what? The welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, not on your behalf. Oh, Lord, it's so tough right now. The government is going in 27 different directions. No, seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the city. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You say, Brian, where are you going this morning? Hopefully the same place you are. There are 127,000 people in DeSoto and Tate County. 127,000 people in those two counties that do not attend church. That do not, that would say they are not believers in Jesus by their convictions, by the way that they live their lives. 127,000 people. 
Every Sunday, 6.7 out of every 10 people in those two counties are not in a church. If those people decided to go to church, we wouldn't have enough for them. There would not be enough seats. There would not be enough buildings. There would not be enough churches for those. Yet you and I are called to be missionaries in DeSoto County and Tate County. That's what we're called to be. That's why he left you here after you bowed the knee, after you confessed with your mouth that he is Savior and Lord. That's why you're here, to be a missionary. You say, Brian, I, I understand that, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell them. In every seat this morning, there was a blank sheet of paper. You can pull it out if you would like, because I'm going to share with you very briefly a way that you can tell them. Pull the slide up that has the three circles and the arrows. You can go ahead and draw that. You can draw that. You can tell somebody about Jesus. Say, so Brian, that seems basic. Yep, it is. That first circle. If you take that first circle, you need to write something in that circle. And here's what you need to write. You need to write God's design. You know, when God spoke the whole world into existence, when he spoke the whole universe into existence, it was very good. Genesis states at the end of chapter 1, he says, and he looked at it. After he did that in those six days, he looked at it and he said, it is very good. God's design for you, God's design for this whole universe was perfect. But you know, we... We can't help ourselves, can we? Because there are days and there are moments in our day and there are times of day that we decide to depart from God's design. And that leads to that second circle. And in that second circle, every time that you and I go away from God's design, it brings brokenness. Let me tell you how to spell it because you'll probably leave an N out. B-R-O-K-E-N-N. E-S-S. There's two ends. Go look it up. Brokenness. You can Google it right now. Brokenness. And we do. We depart. And on that arrow that leads from God's design to the circle of brokenness, the Bible calls it sin. And you sin because of your nature and you sin because of choice. And every time that you sin, you go after different things, it brings brokenness into your life. Maybe it's in your relationships, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your, in your attitude and your actions, it's just selfishness and pride. But every single time that you go against God's design, there is brokenness. And you try to make your way back, but you can't. But the Bible says there is something for you and there is something for me and it's called good news. It's the gospel and that's the third circle down at the bottom. Good news, that is literally the term gospel in the New Testament. Gospel is good news and what is it? So inside that circle I need you to draw a, an arrow that goes down 
or right underneath that circle, draw an arrow that goes down, draw a cross, and then draw an arrow that goes up. An arrow that goes down, the cross, and then an arrow that goes up. And all that is just a reminder that Jesus came down from heaven, he died on the cross, and then he went back to heaven. But that is the gospel. And when you, in your broken state, understand the gospel, understand this good news, you repent and believe. So you go from this broken state and you repent of your sins and all the different things that you're trying to get back to God with and you believe the gospel. And that in turn brings you back through recovery, through pursuing God's design. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock we're going to go more in depth in that. If you'd like to come join us, we'd love to have you. But this is just a tool. It's a very simple tool. Very easy tool for anyone to use to share the great story of the gospel. Every single one of us are sent. Every single one of us are called to be men and women for God's purpose, to be on mission. And He is sending you and sending me out. If you are a member of Riverbend Church, let me talk to you for a minute and a half, and then I will close. Riverbend members, we are beginning. Starting right now, today, we are beginning a new semester of Connect. Some of you have been in Connect. Some of you have never been in Connect. Some of you are kicking and screaming because I'm standing up here talking about Connect. But for those of you who are not members of Riverbend, Connect is the way that we do ministry. Everything that we do flows in and through Connect. It's through Connect that we try to man city kids. It's through Connect that we pray for and we give toward our mission endeavors. It's through Connect that we grow on a weekly basis. It's through Connect that we pray for people, that we lift people up, that we um, cry, that we laugh, that we minister to, all through Connect. And today, this semester begins. I've got 12 guys that uh, have volunteered to be Connect leaders. If you remember, three or four weeks ago, I told you that we had zero Connect groups because I fired everybody. Well, the, for those of you who have uh, seen our Connect leaders, you're probably going to see some familiar faces. But we have some men who are desiring to come back and to lead some groups. And I'm going to ask them if they would come right up front. I told them they couldn't all stand in the back, so I'm not going to let any of them stand in the back. So you can just come right up front, guys. And I'm going to share with you, Riverbend folks, right over here we got Nick Smith. Smile, Nick. Everybody wants to see you smile. we got Nick Smith. Nick is leading a group in Cenotopia, and Nick's Connect group meets at uh, 5 o'clock, 5.30 on Sundays. 
We got Todd McGinnis. We got some wimpy guys right here. Uh, we got Todd. How'd you know I was looking at you? How did you? I was. I was. Anyway, we got Todd McGinnis. I got to hurry up if I'm going to get through in two minutes. Todd McGinnis, right after Sunday uh, services, Brandon Woods is uh, going to meet around six o'clock on Monday. Six o'clock on Monday here in Hernando. Brandon Potts. Five o'clock on Sunday afternoons, five o'clock on Sunday afternoons. Rodney Hollingsworth says he doesn't know when he's going to meet. So if you're in that group, like, hey, I don't know when I can meet, he's your leader. Y'all find a time that y'all can meet. Uh, there's folks that are seat seated right now in black chairs that don't know when in the world you can meet. He's got a time for you. Before you leave, you got to find him. Vance Daly, noon on Sundays, is that right? Sometime, Sometime right after the service. Kurt Walker, Blake Shaw, I think Thursday nights at 6 or 6.30 or whenever other, they don't know either, so find them or, uh, or Hollingsworth, I don't know when they're meeting. Mark Clark's right after the service, uh, noon on Sundays, Ben Bourne's at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, John Hansen is uh, Saturday nights at 5, Saturday nights at 5, Stephen um, Simon is starting a group. He and Michelle are going to start door-to-door, making cold calls, whatever, to find some folks in Senatobia. And they're going to meet, did you say when? Five on Sundays. Bob Jones' group is meeting right after the service on Sundays. These guys are going to stay here. No, they're going to go sit down, but they're coming back at the end. River Bend, you cannot leave until you talk to one of these. I will have my manly men at the door, and you will not get out of the door without saying something to them. Is that good enough? Yes, sir. Okay. I made, I made a point, and it was funny. Y'all can go sit down, man. It was funny, but it's true. I told them this morning, we can't do what God's called us to do without them. We can't do what God's called us to do without you. We can't do it. We cannot do it without you. God has called us to reach this city. He's called us to reach this area. And we can't do it without you. And the way that we do ministry is through Connect. And we are inviting you to be a part. I can't make you come. I can make you talk to somebody before you walk out the door, River Bend. But I can't make you come. I want you to be a part. You will benefit from it. We will benefit from it. Our city will benefit from it. The kingdom will benefit from it. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Lord, the invitation is yours. Father, this day is yours. Everything, Lord, is yours. Lord, maybe the the message was scattered all over the place for us today. Or maybe it was so succinct and so focused that we can't get past it. Lord, we're all at different places. You know that and you know exactly where we are. But God, it's no coincidence that you had us here. It's no coincidence that your word was opened and your message and your mission was spoken. God, we're missionaries. 
Sir, maybe that's the first time you've ever heard that. And you've been a, a Christ follower. You've been a Christian for 30 years or for three weeks. But sir, ma'am, he has called you to be on mission with him. He has called you to share, to show what's, what he's done in you and to share the story of what he's done. Father, I pray that as we stand and as we sing, God, you would speak. If you need to come down front and pray, you come pray. If you need to come talk with me, you come talk with me. But the invitation is open for you to respond to the gospel, for you to respond to the story of Jesus and how much he loves you. So Chris is going to lead us the worship the band is going to play and sing, and you respond as they do so. You join us.